Ghostly Thistle presents The Antique Shop Episode 49 The Death Message I didn't bother going to the shop the next day. No mashop, at least. I went to another one. I'm not really sure how I found it. I've seen it before, through a jewellery box mirror, but never really known in wit dark alleyway it's been hiding all these years. Turns out it's no a dark alleyway at all, but a normal part a town. There's no shop front, no windy display. It's just a doorway that people walk past and dinny notice. No unless they need to. It doesn't look like anything else around it. It's no painted, there's no glass that you can peek through, there's no sign outside. There's no even a handle on the door. It only opens from the inside. I'd been running on excitement since the festival, since I'd learned about death's greatest love. But now that I was here, my confidence started to wither. What if I was wrong? Making connections between things that weren't. Seeing patterns where there wasn't any. I should walk away. But I didn't. I ignored the doubts, the thoughts that made me stop, the fear, and I knocked on the door a Madame Honora's shop. I didn't think I've ever seen that woman look surprised. But I was satisfied with the perplexed frown she threw me when she realised I wasn't a customer. There's no one to make tea here, so we sit at her small table across from one another. The room is as dark as it was in the mirror. Whatever light came from the lampshades was smothered by the carpets and walls. I thought it'd be stuffy. No windows to leave open, no draught to filter through the gaps in the doorframe. But it's not. This place is quiet, almost peaceful. The shop, ma shop, is cavernous. Stuffed fi floor to ceiling with items and objects and trinkets. But sometimes it feels vacant. Almost lonely. Madame Honora's shop was the opposite and yet the same. Familiar yet alien. Everything was neat here, everything had an order. There was very little on display. Some items on a shelf, the one I'd been viewing the room through, and I wondered if whatever the jewellery box I'd found had been attached to was still here, or if Madame Honora had noticed. It was sparse, but the darkened walls and dull light lent it a more comfortable feel. The lackey clutter and mess meant you could see every corner, 
every nook and knew there was nothing there. I didn't like that I wasn't as disgusted by being there as I should have been. She was the enemy, wasn't she? This was where curses were cast, bad people were helped and lives were ruined. But what had I expected? A cauldron? Madame Honora let my eyes wander, let the silence settle. The similarities between her and my boss were perhaps better left unmentioned. When I finally realised there'd been a lengthy silence, I got straight to the point. Had she ever heard of the story about death's greatest love? Her eyes narrowed, her mouth pursed, and I could tell she wanted to throw an insult. I surmised for this reaction that she did know the story, which she confirmed before wondering why I'd asked her about it. Was it true? The distaste melted for her features and a shadowy smugness settled in its place. At least she felt superior now. According to popular myth, it was true, she confirmed, but it had happened so long ago, before even the madams existed, that no one really knew the exact truth or the finer details. Only what had been passed doon. Maybe the depiction of a Kronos-like creature at the festival had been the version that had been passed doon the generations of foxes. Maybe it was artistic license by the puppet makers. But I wasn't about to let this go over some flimsy coincidences. Knew it was my turn to look smug. I told Madame Honora that I had a way to break us all free of our fates as madams. But in order to do it, we needed to summon death. My smugness didn't last long, as Honora sneered and sniggered in derision. I was an idiot, she said. The only way death can be summoned is by dying. And unless I was willing to die for this, we'd have to use another way. Before I could petulantly throw something back at her, she said that the quickest way to find death was to go somewhere they frequented. A place, a death. A cemetery? I'm glad I never said that aloud, because I did feel like a dauber when she told me where we were going. A hospice. I didn't know what's worse. Why does every place that begin with hosp have to be so bad? Visiting Reed after his accident was bad, but now we were going somewhere equally as Drich. And I was going there with the anti-madam. I'd never heard of the hospice we ended up at. None of my family have ever been a patient in one. But it was an eerie place. Hospitals are noisy. Ironically, fully life. Yet this place was stuffed with something else. An unsettling peace that acted more like a vacuum. It was as if no one wanted to make a sound. As though breaking the silence was an act a sacrilege, a taboo. There were less people here, less staff, more carpets, 
less beds, less everything. The staff never really said anything to us, didn't even give us a glance, and I wondered whether this was Anora's doing, an extension of her powers as a madam. There was a lot I didn't know about her, and that had been why I hadn't told her about Kronos and his possible connection with death. I didn't trust her as far as I could throw her. Where I was affected by the atmosphere of the hospice, Anora was blissfully immune, and she told me we needed to find the patient who was most likely to die next. I threw her a glare that bounced off of her like rain off of a windy. And then we split up. I have no idea what I was supposed to look for. It's no like people have signs over their heed way, death, take me next. And although the visitors and patients couldn't really see me, it felt intrusive peering through doorways into rooms. There was a mix of communal rooms and private ones. Most people in the single rooms weren't conscious. The beeps of their machinery, the only sound seeping out. The only sign of any life. I hurried past quicker than I should have, and I felt like Reed in a cemetery, as though walking quickly and avoiding eye contact would somehow spare me. I became used to the beeps, to the exhale of a machine, the high-pitched tone of a counter or timer. So when I heard the thunk... A heavy plastic hit the linoleum floor in the room I'd just walked past. I reversed to look in. An older-looking woman, maybe fifties or sixties, was sitting up in her bed in a private room, staring down forlornly at the ground where she dropped a thick, navy-blue, brick-shaped object. At first glance, I thought it was a glasses case and without thinking, crossed the threshold and swooped down to pick it up. It wasn't anything to do with glasses. It was a fucking phone. I'm no joking. This thing weighed about as much as a bag of tatties. It even had buttons. Proper buttons. I didn't remember these types of phones, but my dad had one in a drawer that he'd had before I was born. He'd called them invincible, and I think some are even in museums now. This one was a testament to how well they were built if it was still working more than 20 years later. You even had to press buttons multiple times to get a single letter. Why was this person still using this phone? Technology had come a long way. And surely it wasn't even supported by the manufacturer anymore. I realise that I'm staring at amazement at this phone and that it's no mine, so I start to give it back to the woman when it nearly vibrates out of my hand and reads one new message on the screen. The sender is 1983. I didn't know how these phones worked but four digits is too few for a number. And what kind of nickname was 1983? Old person, unknown strange number. 
I started to think this might be a scam. The patient, who later told me her name was Joan, noticed the look on my face and tried to reassure me that it was nothing sinister, that this phone was letting her communicate with her deed husband. This did nothing to reassure me, like she was hoping. I slowly sank down into the armchair left for visitors and acted interested, trying to hide the shrill lilt of surprise from my tone. Joan told me that when she was healthier, before the cancer diagnosis, she had run a small business that bought vintage items for estate sales and sold them online. One day she'd been at an auction and a box of random items had been one of the lots. She'd been more interested in the other things inside, but the phone was a part of the sale. Assuming she'd just hand it in somewhere or throw it away, she'd thought nothing of it. Then it had started vibrating. It had been a text message saying that it had been a long time since they'd spoken and asked her if she was doing well. The text had been sent for the number 1983, the same year her first husband had died in a motorcycle accident. Uti morbid curiosity, she'd replied, and over the preceding text message exchange, it had become clear that the person on the other end was her first husband. He mentioned things about their marriage. He remembered her favourite restaurant, what house they'd been wanting to buy, how many guests they'd had at their wedding. That had been a few years ago, and they'd been talking ever since. It had been a comfort, especially through her cancer, which she'd been diagnosed with shortly after getting the phone. I tried not to stare at the phone, tried not to be concerned with the loving way she gazed at it. There was that familiar unease swarming in my stomach, that same sense that something wasn't adding up here. Before I could ask any more questions, Madame Anora appeared in the doorway, small frown drawing her eyebrows together as she noticed me sitting down talking. Curtly, she summoned me over to the door with a flick of her hand, and apologising to Joan, I did as I was told. I presumed by her short attitude that she hadn't found death. And before she could berate me for sitting on my arse whilst she traipsed around, I asked her about the phone Joan had. Anora glanced at it, observed Joan, and said it was probably a transference phone, and that it was too late to help her now. Although the shop may be filled with antiques with a long history, there was the occasional item for more recent times. With the rise of technology, someday they themselves were bound to become antiques, and it had already started. Some people had begun to use older mobile phones to avoid the inevitable. They'd do something to the phone, enchant it in some way, so that whoever received it and began texting them back would swap places with them. If they had cancer, 
then the phone would transfer the cancer to its new owner. Whoever was texting Joan, pretending to be her husband, had been diagnosed with whatever cancer she had knew, and over the years it had slowly transferred to her. I felt sick. Why the fuck were things like this allowed to happen? Anora noticed my disgust and told me we had no time and that Joan didn't either. Before I could berate her for being so unhelpfully crass about the death of a stranger, I heard the phone drop to the ground again. But when I looked at Joan, she was unconscious. No unconscious. Deed. Madame Honora perked up and told me that I should have said if I'd found the person who was going to die next. I had no words. They'd all disappeared. It didn't take long for the familiar black shadowy death to colour the walls and smother the light. They hadn't changed a bit since I'd seen them last. Although why would they? It's no like in the last few months I'd suddenly overcome my fear of the bodach or my fear of death. I didn't really think about it at the time, but I wonder now what Anora saw, what death was to her. The bodach stopped on its way to the old woman, lying in her bed, phone having fallen on the floor, still no broken. Its cloaked figure glanced at Anora, then at me, and again greeted me as Fate's Apprentice, before wondering why they'd seen so much Amy lately. I cleared my throat because I knew my voice would have cracked otherwise. I asked them about the story, the one I'd seen at the festival, about their greatest love. Was it true? Bodachs didn't have faces. They have no expressions. Yet there was a bitterness to the air, a sad ripple through the darkness death was cloaked in. I began to tell them about Kronos, about his preference for being a black cat, about his many tails and third eye, until finally I confess that I know where he is and what he's been doing for all of these millennia. I didn't know if you've ever been stared at by death, but it's no pleasant, even without facial features. The adrenaline was starting to make my hands shake, and I balled them into fists to stop it from spreading to the rest of my body. I wasn't done yet. I told the Bodach that I would only reunite them with their love if they killed fate. Confidence doesn't bloom in me when even Madame Anora stares at me like I've gone mad. And I suppose she's not far off of being right. The Bodach is silent. The shadow shifts. Its cloak ripples like sand on a windy day. And after a few moments, they propose their counter-offer. They just kill me and be done. The shaking got worse 
and the doubts began to ravage my mind. What if I was wrong and I'd just threatened one of the most powerful beings in existence? I had no doubt death would kill me for being such a cheeky shite. But I'd been doing this for years. Doubting, procrastinating, finding anything else to believe because I was too slow, too unaccepting of myself and everything I'd seen. I knew I was right and I knew I could do this. I replied that they couldn't kill me. I was a future madam. My fate had already been set. Currently, I was immune. And it was all because death had put themselves beneath fate, had given in to their whims and fancies, let themselves become inferior. But I was offering a solution. Anora looked as though she was about ready to walk out and refuse that she ever knew me. She wouldn't have any faith in me, would she? Death, after a few more moments a ominous silence, confirmed that I was right on all accounts, except one. Yes, they couldn't kill me. But they also couldn't kill fate either. As long as there was life, there would be some semblance of fate. You can't kill a concept, an idea. However, you can imprison it. I'd been running. <clears throat> running me! I didn't like that I wasn't as disgusted by being there. So when I heard the thunk, a heavy plastic, hit the linoleum floor in the maybe 50s or 60s, was sitting up in her private... What? <laughs> no, she wasn't doing that. A sad ripple through the darkness death was cloaked in. A sad ripple through the darkness that... A sad ripple through the darkness death was coat Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to episode 49 of The Antique Shop. Episode 50 will be released in two weeks' time. Just a short... It's not even a ramble. I used the word dreich in the episode. I think it's quite a well-known word. At least it is down in England. I've had a few people use it to me down here. <laughs> anyway, for those who don't know, dreich, I don't know how you spell it. I think it's D-R-E-I-C-H. Maybe I-E-C-H, I don't know. Dreich is usually used to refer to the weather. So if it's a Dreich day, it's usually like a, an overcast day or it's raining, it's, you know, it's kind of miserable. Of which those days are plentiful in Scotland. <laughs> but I, can, I tend to use it a wee bit more loosely, I think. I don't know if I'm maybe using it a bit too loosely or not, but I, I like the word and I, I, I like it to mean something other than the weather. <laughs> so yeah, we because it usually refers to the weather being overcast or miserable, something being drich just means that it, it's miserable, it's a bit dull, you know, it, it's not great. 
If you'd like to support the show, please think about leaving a review and rating wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to go above and beyond for the podcast, then think about visiting our coffee account by searching for Ghostly Thistle on coffee.com and donating however much you can. If you'd like to get in touch about this podcast or my other podcast, then you can message me on Facebook and Twitter by searching for Ghostly Thistle or email me at ghostly.thistle at gmail.com. If you are interested in some of the behind the scenes and inspirations for the episodes in this podcast, then do join the subreddit by searching for the Antique Shop Pod on Reddit and join in the discussion. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time. And remember to send me your questions.